Code Fund Podcast Network. This is Chaos Cast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com chaos. On this episode, we have Brian Prophet. Good day, Georg. Thank you for inviting me. So my name is Brian Prophet. I am a manager in the open source program office with Red Hat. Part of my responsibilities is working with community health and metrics. And really excited to have this conversation today. Nicole Huseman. Hi, Georg. So great to be here today. I've been working in technology marketing for over 20 years and in the open source community for about 10. And I'm really glad to be here and part of this discussion. Georg Ling. Hi, everyone. Georg here. I'm a co-founder of the Chaos Project. Uh, co-lead of the governing board, maintainer of several projects, director of sales at Viturgia. And I'm super excited to have a really awesome guest here, Chris Anicek from the Cloud Native Compute Foundation to talk about community health in this fastest growing open source foundation ever. So hi, Chris. Hello, good to be here. Happy Friday. It's exciting to have an opportunity to talk about open source community health metrics and some lessons we've learned over the years in the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. So Chris, when we talk about community health, what comes to mind for you in the context of CNCF? You know, the the way we think about open source community health is, you know, really community health is something that offers safety, well-being for all your kind of constituents in the community while ensuring your project is actually sustainable in the long term. I think that's kind of how we, you know, picture things in our mind regarding community health. As part of that, you know, process, we ensure that we measure different aspects of our community and ensure those, you know, measurements are transparently shared with the community and make sure everyone, everything is basically held accountable in the organization. We have a lot of different constituents in our organizations, you know, not only just project, you know, maintainers, but we also have end users, we have a governing board, we have a technical board. So we try to measure different aspects of those communities uh, and ensure that they're healthy based on what metrics they you know, choose to kind of measure themselves by. I really look forward to diving into more detail on, on the metrics side and the structure and everything. Yeah. What is your role at CNCF? So, you know, CNCF, you know, started about five, it's about, our, it'll be our fifth year birthday in December. So I, I currently serve as the chief technology officer, CTO. When I started the organization five years ago, 
roughly, I came in uh, as kind of founding executive directors, basically, you know, from day zero, helping the organization get bootstrapped, along with a parallel organization, which people tend to forget, but something called the Open Container Initiative, which, you know, was really trying to standardize container technology. So we're doing both of those kind of at the same time. So we're trying to build out the cloud native, you know, uh, community with projects and ensuring there was kind of a healthy ecosystem of end users, vendors. And then there was a sister project that was kind of the boring, let's just go standardize containers to make sure that, you know, they're, they're, they're standard and everywhere. And there's just not one vendor kind of ruling the roost. So it was kind of a fun experience running both of those kind of projects at the same time. And eventually due to my just natural interests. I tend to be more of a technology person. So, you know, the choice of either do I want to go, you know, babysit uh, a governing board and ensure they're doing okay or focus on the technical board. Eventually, organization grew so much that, you know, uh, I decided to focus more on the technical board and serving the technical community. So I kind of rotated in the CTO and we hired Dan Khan at the time to take over as executive director. And now we recently hired Priyanka Sharma to take over as our kind of general manager, executive director for, for the organization. Before all of CNCF, I have, you know, probably 20 plus years in open source. I started out as just a humble, you know, contributor maintainer to, you know, some Linux distributions. If you're familiar with, you know, Gentoo, Fedora, to contribute to those a lot, spent my time in the in IBM, you know, technical coal mines working on developer tooling. Eclipse did a lot of, a lot, a lot of developer tooling back in the day. Uh, started a little open source company a long time ago before that was kind of a hip thing to do around Eclipse with some of the original maintainers. Spent a couple of years at Red Hat working on the open source developer tooling and eventually went kind of the you know, you know, building an open source program office at Twitter and then eventually pivoted to running and building a foundation from scratch. So it's kind of a weird history of like maintainer to leader to startup founder to foundation, you know, uh, leader now. So it's a very, very strange career over time. Chris, I, I, I wanted to ask, so yep. as you're, you know, working with metrics at, at CNCF, clearly you, this is an organization which is in rapid growth mode. So like, I'm, I'm curious, like, how you have uh, adapted your metrics or if you've adapted your metrics to kind of compensate for the fact that you are in such an, one would almost say an explosive mode of growth. Have you made adjustments for that? And if so, you know, can you share some of those? Yeah, sure. I mean, initially when we started, you know, we actually didn't have much you know, kind of uh, focus on, you know, sharing metrics for our projects. We just didn't have kind of tools in place. So eventually we used a variety of tools out there. We used homegrown stuff, uh, a project called Facade. We use uh, work from Baturgia and the Chaos Project. We uh, built um, some of our own tools with a project called DevStats. And eventually what we settled on is you know, metrics for, and I'm speaking in terms of like project, like open source community projects. So if you go to projecthealth.cncf.io, you'll see it kind of a dashboard that shows all of our projects and kind of a, a set of metrics that we consider, you know, useful for you to understand what potentially may be, you know, a, a healthy thing for a project, right? And so there's probably, last time I checked, maybe over somewhere, probably between 50 and 75 things that we highlight. There, a lot of it is around just, you know, our 
our maintainers of the projects responding to issues fast enough, pull requests fast enough? How diverse is the project in terms of external contributions? Like, are the majority of the contributions coming from just one company? Um, if that's true, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? You know, we're not sure. So we, we essentially highlight all this data. And if you're familiar with kind of how typical Linux Foundation projects work is, you know, we, we separate business and technical governance, right? So we usually have like a business governing board and a technical board. The technical board in CNCF evaluates those metrics quite often to basically help gauge the uh, maturity of said project. And we have a different set of maturity levels for our projects. We have something called Sandbox, which is kind of early stage experiments, incubation, which is a little bit more mature, has a little bit more of a, you know, you know, project together where it's kind of openly governedly run and, you know, multiple companies contributing to graduated, which is like a full kind of stamp of approval that this project will probably stick around and last uh, for a very long time and your company could depend on. So the technical board uses those metrics to help kind of make decisions on which maturity level projects fit in over time and, and, and so on. So you know, over the time we've added, you know, initially the focus I think really was, you know, how, how, how active is the project in terms of responding to, to issues and, you know, how often do they do releases? Because that information is just, you know, indicative of if a project responds fairly quickly to any kind of customer or, you know, community concern, that's generally a very like healthy sign, right? Eventually what we turn to is, you know, looking at, which companies and organizations, you know, are involved in our projects, right? Is it, is it okay to only have one company essentially contributing to the majority of the project? You know, for sandbox and incubating projects, you know, we're a little bit more flexible for graduated projects. I think absolutely not. We think that, you know, for long-term projects, having, you know, maintainers and contributions coming from a wide swath of folks are extremely important. So we tend to highlight that more. And we actually look at that data a lot more now than we, than we do kind of at the how quickly a, you know, people are responding to issues and, and, and PRs. Like we're really concerned of the overall kind of you know, contribution health across companies and maintainers across um, companies, if that makes sense. And just following up on that, yep. so that, is that a, a concern about overall sustainability or where, where what? I, and I'm biased yep. because I actually helped create the corporate <laughs> metric for chaos yeah. i'm yeah. all excited now so but from your point of view yeah. like where's that coming from sustainability so, or a lot of it comes from sustainability and and generally like we're a we're so we're a vendor neutral you know organization right which generally means one vendor cannot control you know the, the project and you know if you are in a situation where you could have projects that may only have you know one company involved you know and and they may have done a great job, you know, law, you know, stewarded the project extremely well. But the problem is, you know, we live in an industry where, you know, sometimes a company could get acquired, right? And if they get acquired, maybe their parents acquire doesn't care as much about the, the project, right? And so in the cloud native community, just, just within the last, I think, five years since I've started, I think we've nearly had a... Uh, uh, Ooh, I think like last time we did the count, like 60, 70 acquisitions, you know, within our ecosystem, right? And so for us, it's very important to ensure that if you have at least have multiple organizations involved, then you have less of this kind of, you know, uh, problem where a company come in and sweep things or, you know, someone just, 
you know, potentially runs in a situation where they just don't care anymore about the, about the project or there's health issues, you know, on a personal level. So, you know, you know, diversity is a spice of life. And the more you add, you know, to people maintaining projects, the better, in, in, in my opinion. You know, there is something to be said that, you know, we, we do, we, we have found that even, even in our like healthiest projects, probably, you know, a few to a handful of companies will still do the majority of the work. And that's not a bad thing. If you still have like a handful of companies doing, you know, 50, 60% of the work, as long as, you know, the other 30, 40% of the work is done by just tons, you know, tons and tons of folks. I think that's a good thing. I think Kubernetes is kind of one of those examples, you know, that, you know, I think Google and Red Hat and now VMware do a lot of the heavy lifting, but the rest of the contributions come from, you know, thousands of, of, of companies. And we view that as a great nothing. I, I think that's really resonates with what we've been discussing. Brian, uh, I know you've been part of this conversation in chaos as well, where we're talking about not just the bus factor, talking about individuals who endanger the project if they leave, but also the elephant factor of like one company just pulling all of their supporters and suddenly the project falls dead. So yeah, that, that really resonates what you're describing. And uh, that's really great insights. Of all of these different things that you're measuring, are there a few that rise to the surface as either the most important or some things that have been uh, aha moments for you or surprises for you? It's, it's an interesting question. I, I mean, the one metric that we generally look at probably the most these days, at least me on a personal level, is essentially the percent of all commits coming from the top committing company across uh, a level of three, six, 12 months. And, and generally with that information, you, you could kind of have a rough idea of whether you know, one organization is trying to you know, uh, either, are, are they working their hardest to ensure that they're enabling other people to come contribute to that project? Or are they trying to just you know, choke off you know, contributions from other organizations? And we generally cross-reference that with has has the project also grown its level of maintainers over time? And that's the other thing to, to check because there is this kind of orthogonal thing of you know the percentage of commits coming from top companies and then the list of maintainers and people who have commit rights to the project. And we found that through our history, some projects are significantly better at others in, in increasing the number of um, contributors and committers to their project because that actually takes a lot of work. So, you know, we've found that projects that do things like internships and participate in programs like Summer Code, Outreachy, or Community Bridge generally do a better job of cultivating you know, new contributors and, and committers over time in their community, uh, on top of also doing things like contributor ladders, which Kubernetes community has kind of done kind of a really good job of ensuring there is a very clear, well-defined ladder and, and ranking of, of, of of, of what it means to be a contributor in the community. So people feel like they could naturally start somewhere and kind of move, move up. This might be a good segue into how, so I, when I first started to get involved with Kubernetes community, mm -hmm. one of the things and started work with Guinevere and Jonas mm -hmm. uh, and others, a uh, contributor experience that that team was how welcoming and 
and what a fantastic onboarding experience there was there. Can you talk a little bit about what the view of diversity and inclusion is within the cloud native community and some of the investments that you're making there? Yeah, so there, you know, it's 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 great that you bring up the contributor experience. So kind of one thing that you know I think helps improve kind of both diversity and inclusion within not only Kubernetes but CNCF. You know, that group kind of pioneered essentially having just a group of people focused on building a welcoming environment for new contributors, listening to contributor concerns, and so they've done just amazing you know work over time and kind of building out the ladder, ensuring that people are welcome, you know, regardless of whether they're, you know, a developer or a tech writer or someone that just want to contribute to help planning. So I think that that practice actually has been somewhat in, copied. And now there is a CNCF contributor experience working, uh, essentially uh, SIG, that spans all of CNCF, not only just Kubernetes. So I think as a community health practice, that is actually one thing that we have done, I think, extremely well as an organization. And there's folks out there, you know, like Paris Pittman, Stephen Augustus, whatever, all these folks that I think have done a, a great job in cultivating that community. I think it, it's a very healthy sign if you have something like that in, in, in your community. In terms of the other things that, you know, we've done as an organization for, you know, essentially to kind of answer your question on, on diversity and inclusion, from a, it's just, there's, so there's many ways to look at it. Let me think about it first from like maybe an organization level, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about, you know, on a project level and maybe on like an event and community events type level. While we're on this structure, I, I don't know if everyone who is listening to this podcast knows all the special terms that we're using, like SIG. As you're walking through, I think this yep. is super helpful to understand what the structure is that you have built in this foundation. Yep. If you could also explain the terms as you go along, I think that awesome. would be really valuable to our listeners. Okay, let's see if I could quickly kind of, you know, do that. So, you know, uh, CNCF, we have, let's say, like three main bodies, right? Like, let's we'll go, we have a governing board, which, which people often call GB. So these are kind of the business people that either are elected to the board or pay, you know, essentially to sustain the organization and get a board seat so they could decide how that budget is, is spent, right? Or let's call it the boring business people. We have the uh, TOC or Technical Operating Committee, which is the technical committee. So it's independently elected folks that control the overall technical direction of all of CNCF. And under that, we have our projects, right? And so projects get to kind of independently govern themselves. So one of our lessons in building a very interesting high growth community in CNCF is that there is no one way to do project governance, right? So, you know, we kind of have this like Tolstoy-esque view where, you know, each project is kind of unhappy in their own unique way. And for you to kind of prescribe one way to do things, you know, it just doesn't work. And I've been involved with, you know, the Eclipse Foundation, the Apache Foundation, they kind of have their Eclipse way and uh, Apache way. I, I, I just found it's, it's very difficult to dictate, you know, uh, terms. There's some good lessons and practices there, but giving people the freedom to create their own governance with some guardrails works extremely well. So you have someone, you have a community like Kubernetes, which is organized in essentially, you know, a series of SIGs, special interest groups, which essentially are domain specific. 
So they're something like SIG storage, SIG, you know, networking, SIG contributor experience, you know, that deals with the onboarding of new contributors and improving, you know, the kind of the health and life of the, of the project, right? And so each of those SIGs essentially usually map to uh, some set of projects or own projects. And, and within Kubernetes, there's tons and tons of, you know, sub-projects. Um, there's also working groups, which are meant to be more short-lived initiatives that are generally non-code owning within Kubernetes. And then you also have a steering committee with Kubernetes, which they kind of have their own kind of group of folks that get to control the overall vision and direction uh, of the project. But they generally don't tell each kind of SIG what they do. They're just there to kind of oversee to ensure nothing breaks or deal with conflict um, resolution. And that's basically kind of how Kubernetes is, is structured. And that works for a very large, complicated project. But if you're a smaller project, like say, you know, Creo or Container D or these others, they have their own kind of open governance model that they've decided that is the appropriate size uh, and fit for their community. And, you know, I, I think the, the way I kind of look at it is, you know, say, uh, I, I kind of call it like, it's like the IKEA effect for open source in some ways for open source governance, where like, you know, if you buy a shelf from IKEA, build it yourself, you feel pretty damn proud that you've been able to put that thing uh, together yourself. And I think the same kind of logic applies to governance for, for open source uh, projects. You know, they get assisted by the CNCF staff and the technical board, but, you know, for them to kind of build something that, that fits properly for the community and could evolve over time works um, pretty well. So, so, there, so I hope that answers some of your questions. I think I still need to go back to Nicole's kind of original question of, of how you know, diversity and inclusion efforts play within the organization, which I'm happy to. But I, I, I prefer to like guide this conversation of how you want to how you want to go about it. Yeah, I mean, one of the other areas uh, that I've uh, participated yeah. in has been the diversity scholarship fund and, and that committee or that group. There are so many different, whether it's the onboarding with the contributor experience SIG or the diversity mm -hmm. scholarship group, right? There, there are so many really wonderful things happening in the cloud native community. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, with yeah. Paris and yeah. so many different wonderful uh, people working in there? Yeah, no, no, the community is amazing. I, I, I truly, it's been one of the, you know, kind of highlights of my career, kind of working out and building with this community. And, and you know, a lot of those programs mentioned, I think that, you know, come from two, two reasons. You know, one is, you know, we've, we've generally taken diversity uh, fairly you know, seriously within our organization. I think a lot of people don't realize that CNCF itself is basically comprised of, you know, we have about 30 staff total for the organization and we serve almost 50 projects these days, but two thirds of that staff is, is women. One third is men. We, we have about 50-50 split men and women on kind of the executive leadership team. And, you know, that even comes from our parent organization. You know, we're part of the Linux Foundation and the Linux Foundation itself is split about 50-50 men and women and historically has always, you know, funded, you know, diversity efforts. Every event that the Linux Foundation puts on always has a diversity, you know, scholarship associated with it. You know, we have a code of conduct associated with all of our events. And I think, you know, part of that, since it's been reflected in the organization so long and even in staffing and leadership kind of leads to a lot of these, you know, programs. Like we don't, we, like we don't allow manuals, you know, or all male panels at uh, any of our uh, events. We uh, strongly encourage all of our speakers to take. Essentially, we have this 
I don't know if you've um, seen it, but it's a speaker inclusivity training that we put together with NCWIT that we basically want all of our speakers to take. We even have all of our staff, staff you know, take it across um, the organization. I mean, we put together lunches and specific events for people within all our events. We do empower lunches. We've done just a, a variety of, of things. I'm trying to like uh, come up with all of them in, in my mind. You know, on top of that, I think the other thing that we do kind of unique is we, we actually publish, you know, conference transparency reports and annual re- reports for our organization that actually goes and highlights a lot of, you know, metrics that are valuable for diversity inclusion. I think, you know, you know, sunlight is a great disinfectant. And if you share these numbers, you have a chance to kind of improve them over time. And if you look at our conference transparency reports for KubeCon, you can kind of see all that data there. We, like, we, don't, only, we don't even break out, you know, just kind of, you know, gender specific uh, things for, uh, you know, spe- percentage of speakers. We actually even go further in depth and even break out end users versus vendors, which is another, I think, an important health metric where I think having a open source community, uh, an organization that also understands that you need to have end users involved and make sure that it's not only just vendors is super, super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so much, so much that's, that's going on that's right that, yeah. Yeah. And when we're not, you know, we're not, you know, like, perfect by any means. And we constantly listen to folks, you know, in our community of how we could do, you know, things, you know, things, things better. So, uh, you know, we're like, we're the, you know, the, the saying we have is like, you know, we're, you know, we're here to serve in the organization as a role in, in, in the foundation. And, you know, if people have things that they want to bring up, please let us know. We, you know, of all the open source foundations I've been involved in, I think we're the only one I know that actually tries to survey all of our constituents, you know, whether they're members and users, maintainers, and we actually open source and share all that data online too. Uh, if you go to github.com cncf slash surveys, we publish all that information there, people's happiness, what they think, their comments, obviously with, you know, the PII information removed, but we, we share all that. And that's what we use basically to hold ourselves uh, accountable. And to me is a bit of a you know, a life hack for the organization. It's great to have other people do that. I think it really, for a foundation like us, you know, I think that's one way, one way we build trust, you know, is through kind of this transparent surveying of people's satisfaction. What can we do better? And every year we kind of try to improve and iterate on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the, the foundation with the transparency, the openness, the being open and listening and all of that is fantastic. So one of the things that you mentioned is that you have multiple things in my head right now. I don't know in what order we want to talk about this. You have all of these different areas and you are looking at metrics. So one thing I'm interested in is how do you do metrics for the governing board, for technical committee, for the project, for the special interest groups, the SIGs, for the working groups? or do you even go at that level? And then I know you have dev stats to provide metrics. How does that play into this? And then uh, the third part that I want to know more about is the annual report. And maybe, maybe that all fits together. I, I don't know. It, 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 so in some ways it does, because the annual report essentially is a, is a culmination of putting together data from a lot of our you know, different 
surveys and kind of metrics that we hold ourselves accountable to not only the governing board, but our technical community and user community and so on. So, I mean, I guess we could kind of start there where, you know, from, from a governing from a governing board level, right? These are the people that, you know, are in charge of the business, right? They need to ensure that, you know, budgets are taken care of. We're, you know, doing, you know, great for, you know, what we're kind of tasked to as an organization, which essentially is to make cloud native computing ubiquitous. Like that is our, you know, mission for the organization. And we look at that in many different ways, right? There's one is from an angle of how many projects do we have in our cloud native community? Do we have all the holes fit in a landscape so you could actually build solutions and products on top of the software that we put together in our cloud, you know, CNCF. One thing that's important to note in CNCF is we're, we're an organization, we're, we're similar to where we, we are like the Apache Foundation, where we allow competing projects, we, you know, allow a variety of things, and we have this thing called the cloud native, cloud native landscape. If you go to l.cncf.io, it kind of gives you like this crazy map of all the different you know, projects out there, which kind of sections they kind of play in or technology categories, you know, like registries, storage. Yeah, and, and so there's some gaps. And so as, as an organization, we're trying to ensure that we fill those gaps. So that's something we'd look at every, day, every, every year. We look at how well we're doing in terms of you know, project satisfaction. So you know, one part of the annual report is how happy are your actual maintainers of, of, of the project, right? And so we go ask them every year, you know, we, we look at that in various ways outside of like a typical kind of like, you know, NPS style score, you know, that you get from a survey. We also look at, you know, uh, response time of staff to maintainer concerns. So, you know, if a maintainer wants to go, you know, hey, uh, we want a security audit, you know, can you help us do that? How quickly have we responded and are they happy with us? So we kind of bring up that that data in, in the governing board. We also kind of look at the overall growth of training and education. And then so what I mean here is we do a lot of courses and training for our whole community. So we look at the growth um, of that over time. So whether it's kind of free, you know, intro to Kubernetes on edX.org or people that are taking our certified Kubernetes exams, which are kind of very similar to like an RHC style exam. So that's kind of from a a, a governing board level, and you'll see a lot of that kind of reflected in the bullet, you know, in the in the in the annual re- report. You know, DevStats was built mostly to deal from the technical board side or the TOC side, basically looking at the actual overall project specific health. So this is you know you know from a technical level, things like pull requests, issue issue response. A response time, which which company is the majority of the contributors, and so that we just have publicly available for everyone to look at. And one one cool thing about DevStats, which we kind of try really hard, and I think is a lesson from you know other open source communities, we we purposely don't try to make a uh, gamification of like what is the top company contributing to the project. Like there's some other lessons from. Whether it was my days in Eclipse or you know OpenStack days, where it, you know what happens is vendors, you know any metric that is publicly exposed out there in a very prominent fashion, vendors will will, will gamify it, right? And and you know they'll be like, oh, top contributor, right? And people will start sending garbage patches or anything to essentially get that. So we kind of bury that information and we don't make it as prominent. You can go look it up yourself and and so on, but it's not a very prominent uh, thing. So. 
So, Chris, you know, one of the things that I wanted to kind of yep. talk to you or ask you about, yep. the, like, how did, how did, you know, you all begin your journey with metrics? Like, like, where was the start? Because I remember having an early conversation, well, early for me, perhaps not for you, conversation, you know, back in uh, Berlin. And we were talking to some vendors about metrics and, and, and sorting some things out. And, you know, was that the start of your journey around metrics or had you already been down that path a while? You know, like, tell us the secret origin of, of metrics at CNCF. I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's like necessarily a secret origin. It's like, I, I've been, you know, I think as an individual, I've just been involved in, in open source for, you know, 20 years across different foundations and organizations. And it's something that we always kind of knew that we, we eventually wanted to have uh, a dashboard driven view of the world for the technical community. I think like if you have something that is transparent to the whole organization that shows, you know, the overall health, however you, you know, define that, it's a good thing and that will evolve over time. So we're, we were fairly quick to eventually stand, you know, well, first we evaluated a ton of different tools. We probably used all of, all of like the metrics, you know, dashboard tools out there. And eventually we just standardized uh, on, on dev stats is uh, mostly the Kubernetes community, I think was, was satisfied with it. And they were a very hard community to please, mostly because they love customization in, in some ways. So they were able to customize you know, the, the dashboard to their liking based on the complicated SIG structure, you know, that they had. Yeah. That's interesting. You, you come at it from that approach of, of transparency and, and openness. You know, we've had conversations with different people around this and there, you know, there are people in the open source community that don't feel like data is the answer and, and, it, and it isn't the answer, but but they're initially resistant to, you know, using data as, you know, to, to show what's going on. They're more willing to do the human gut check side of things. Yeah, I think what's interesting is once you start having data dashboards like that, that transparency leads to accountability <laughs> in, in, in some ways. And, and you know, to be, to be blunt and honest, my, my overall, like, you know, you know, for, for me to get like a, a, a bonus in the year is actually deliberately tied to maintain our satisfaction in the community. A lot of our staffs, you know, you know, how well we rate how they're doing for, for serving the community is actually directly and intimately tied to public, public metrics. So Chris, question, how do you view the role of the chaos project? And what would you like to see from the Chaos Project? So two, two things. One, in, in terms of let's start with what I'd like to see from the Chaos Project. So as, as someone who's been operating this space, like I think Chaos has done like phenomenal work in kind of doing the nitty gritty of trying to figure out and spec out what are metrics in different areas that we could all kind of share amongst different tools and so on. And I think you just need to find a way to highlight the work of the project in, in, a, in a larger way. Like I talk to companies from all over you know, the world and you know, with, with my cloud native experience and you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm like, well, oh, they'll look at dev stats. I'm like, oh yeah, we, we stole a couple ideas from the chaos. Like, so, you know, what is chaos, right? I think just raising, trying to figure out a way to raise the visibility of an organization is something I'd like to see. I don't have an easy solution for you there, but anything that you know, chaos could do to to do that. And I don't know whether that's like a 
you know, maybe it's a simple badge of like, you know, you know, powered by metrics from chaos. I don't know. There's, there's many ways, you know, marketing tricks that you could do to kind of improve the, the visibility of the project. Cause I think that would truly uh, help bring in more people, you know, to, to, to the community. You know, it could be cool for the organization to produce kind of a, a, a state of chaos report and kind of highlight some of the different tools and organizations out there, you know, using, you know, chaos things as, as way. You know, I'm I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've you know attended you know a meeting on a personal level, but I think just rate anything you could do to kind of raise the visibility of the organization itself and ensure that people that are actually inspired by the work have a way to kind of reflect that you know in in their tools and and so on could be cool. But. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Just quick update from the Chaos Project: We are working on batching actually. So this is cool. something that we are looking into and uh, defining the, the workflows and everything. It's, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> no, that's super exciting. I think also having the ability <laughs> to involve other foundations and you know, even end users, there, there's an interesting thing that like I come from a very you know, engineering background and used to lead engineering teams. And you know, through that practice, we would always build our own you know, Kind of engineering focused dashboards to understand like burn down rate, you know, all this like, you know, type, type of things. Probably involving maybe some more of those groups also into chaos could be interesting because it's like a, it's a different perspective that's generally is, is, is not, it's not like open source specific. It's more of, you know, you're building a product in a certain velocity and, and time things. But those, those, those metrics used in that environment do have some applicability, I think. In, uh, in an open source environment too. So in general, like the more constituents from different backgrounds and, and viewpoints they could bring into chaos, I think that the healthier um, the community will be. So Chris, I know you're also involved with the to-do group and which I understand is a network of open source programs offices. And I understand also you have some guidelines around metrics and community health there. Can you maybe talk about your work that you're doing in the to-do group? Uh, sure, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things I guess I didn't mention earlier through my kind of career experience is when I was at Twitter, we one of the things I was tasked there to do was build out an open source program office, which essentially was a center of gravity for the organization to deal with open source issues, whether it's inbound, outbound compliance, overall strategy of why we should open source something or not, or on top of just training engineers to be better, you know, open source, you know, citizens, and then putting in you know, essentially dashboards and, and essentially having data of how well the organization is doing. So without that experience, you know, I had other peers in the industry at the time, like there was Chris DeBona from Google and James Pierce from Facebook. And so we kind of had this private mailing list that we were just kind of using, just sharing like, you know, hey, I, I ran into this issue. Like, <laughs> what, what did you do? Someone embedded uh, some GPL stuff in a mobile app. This is not good. Do you have any, any stories of how we kind of deal with these types of situations. Eventually what happened was, you know, that, that, that private mailing list started to grow a little bit and other companies started to, to join, right? And eventually what happened was James Pierce from Facebook suggested that, you know, why don't we just make this thing more official and, and, and larger? I'm like, sure, right? We get ping, we were getting pinged all the time for advice by different organizations that were looking to start up open source programs. And if you look at the like, origin and history, you know, I, the first open source office you could look at either maybe was started at Sun or IBM, depending how kind of how you look, you know, at, at things. But there was there's just not many 
uh, of them. And so the idea was, why not have a group of people that kind of steward what an open source program is, just kind of like any kind of industry, you know, association uh, group and involve more people and maybe start sharing guides, you know, you know, white papers, you know, definitions, anything to kind of help improve the, the state of what it, what an open source program is. And, you know, this is common in many other industries. There's like, you know, medical associations, dentist associations, right there, even for the security industry, you know, there's different associations. And what's funny is our thesis was always as open source will be continue to be permeated everywhere. Once everyone starts using this, right. And starts contributing they're going to have to have an open source program period right and what's interesting is other parts of our industry have kind of gone through this so if you kind of look at chief like chief security officer or ciso the first ciso i think what uh what happened in 1995 right that's not too long ago i i, I guess but like that was eventually a reaction to do some some issues right and and we're, i think that same path of Eventually, companies realized they needed CISOs and security people after like they were bit by issues so bad in security. Like, oh my gosh, we need something. The same thing's happening in open source where companies are like, holy crap, 99% of our product is open source uh, now. And we have engineers wanting to contribute back or like they want to share this project that we think may be IP or not. Like, what do we? And so we're just seeing this huge kind of explosion now of companies from all different industries forming open source programs from like, I even talked to someone from the, 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 the medical pharma industry, you know, recently that, you know, is building out an open source program. So it's, it's been quite a, quite an experience. So there's many, you know, what an open source program is, there's many ways to kind of look at it. We have a lot of guides that we've produced from, you know, what it means to start an open source project, what it means to shut down an open source project, how to structure an open source program. We do surveys every year to kind of survey the industry across the board based on, you know, do you have an open source program? Are you planning for one? How is it comprised of? How many employees uh, exist in it? Is it under, which department is it under? Is it under engineering, legal, you know, who knows what? And, and so as a group, we just kind of do this. And now we're over, I think, 50, you know, something members, you know, we're part of the Linux Foundation, Federation of Foundations, and we just kind of continue to work and, and learn um, from each other. So hopefully that answers some of your <laughs> question. Yeah, no, that that's really insightful. Just my, my last question would be for open source programs offices. Do you have like a recommendation or something about uh, metric community health around that? So, so my my general like advice for anyone that is starting out their open source program office journey is kind of the first bit is write down your actual kind of overall you know vision and strategy you know for the organization. Each of these things are extremely different and usually depends on the company. So it, it depends on the company in terms of how it generally makes money, right? So if you're you know say a SaaS based service like you're like a Google or Twitter you know, software is more of a means to end, right? You're making most of your business through advertising or other things. So your, your ability to share software versus like a, a Samsung or Intel, like anyone who's distributing physical devices or something like that is going to be a little, a little different. So like the, the step one, write down clearly kind of what the, the overall vision for the organization and what your attitudes are towards, you know, what we could share and not, and just have that codified. So that's just basic step zero, step zero, you know, step zero, step one. The next step is come 
up with a set of metrics based on those specific needs. And so for some organizations, so for like, you know, the Twitters, Googles of the world, they were very focused on two things. One, potentially who were able to hire based on people who are contributing to open source projects we cared about. So have that kind of as a metrics that you would look at. And two, externalizing R&D. So what I mean here is, you know, are, are we the part of open sourcing something and sharing potentially some intellectual property, it would be awesome if we were not the only ones, you know, doing the work, right? And so a success story viewed over time would be which percentage of contributions are coming from like outside the organization, especially if it was a company-led project. And so focusing essentially, you know, kind of on those two things to start goes a long way because a lot of times, just like with any type of, you know, thing you do, you generally have to kind of justify your existence. Well, you know, what business value and impact are you having to the organization? Other times it's around, you know, compliance issues were also a thing ensuring that, you know, you know, one of our kind of like KPIs and goals was to ensure there was like zero open source, you know, compliance issues. Because, you know, as an organization is we're not only legal duty bound, it is the right thing uh, to do to ensure that there's no issues around that. So those are kind of a few things to share. There's, you know, obviously a lot more, but that's generally kind of uh, a viewpoint because I've had many meetings that I was brought into. It's like, you know, why did we open source this? You know, well, it's like, oh, well, you know, we're doing only half of the work now and, you know, we have the same staff and now we even have half of the work being done by others. And they actually contributed something that improved performance for us by 10% and actually saved us a bunch of money. And so like, you know, essentially codifying some of those things is, is super useful as you kind of build out an open source program. That is, that is fantastic advice for open source programs office to start with their metrics journey. And our hope at Chaos is that we provide some, some ideas for how to do metrics and analytics and just to be an inspiration of what kind of metrics are there. Now, with the, this podcast, we are now going into our last segment. This is our picks where we like to highlight things that have brought value into our lives. And I'll kick us off. My pick for this episode is an author, Rick Riordan, with, who wrote the Percy Jackson books and some others about demigods and how they live in our modern world and fight the battles of the gods. And I've just been uh, having a lot of fun reading those books. Brian, do you have a pick today? Yeah, I do. So actually, as we're recording this, I, I have a day off. My company has kindly started a process where every quarter they're just going to give us a single day off as a recharge day. And I think that that is, especially now when everything is all uh, up in the air and extreme, extremely turbulent, I think it is important for everyone to, you know, either, you know, give Coworkers, if they have that ability, time to recharge, or certainly take that time for themselves. It's kind of weird because why take vacation when you can't really go anywhere, but you still need to actually take those days off and 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 just do, you know, hopefully nothing. It's really important. True, very true words. Thank you, Brian. Nicole, do you have a pick for today? You know, as I think over my career, the things that I'm most passionate about are the discussions that happen outside the walls of a single company or the discussions that happen 
across these kind of these pseudo boundaries, so to speak. And as we look at kind of what's happening in our world these days, one of the bright spots for me has been to be a part of these different discussions. So, Georg, I've really got to hand it to you, you know, and, and Chris talked about how do we make the work of the chaos project more visible? I think one of the ways is through the Chaos Cast podcast, because, you know, I think we are really doing great work through the Chaos Project. And then, uh, you know, I have a Code Together podcast series as well. You know, and, and so just the gravitating to provocative discussions that bring us together and ways that we can move things forward and collaborate together. So that's been a bright spot for me. Thank you, Nicole. Chris, do you want to finish us off? What's your pick for today? Uh, sure. So, you know, you know, as, as you're aware, we've just been kind of living in, in like very interesting times, you know, from, you know, a pandemic to a lot of the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement that's going on. And, you know, as, as someone who, you know, I've been very fortunate, I think my work through open source, and kind of honestly, one of my favorite things about the open source community is like, I just had the ability to meet people from all over the world, different cultures, travel and see amazing places, you know, have my perspective, you know, challenge, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a first generation, you know, immigrant, you know, to, to the US. And, you know, I've had, you know, you know, I, I've been raised in a certain way and have my own environment and kind of things I've learned, but, you know, hearing from others, their viewpoints and stuff is something that just been, you know, uh, amazing. And then something I'm super grateful for in, in open source. And, you know, recently there's a couple of things that, you know, I think, I think sharing, you know, that's kind of challenged and, and helped, you know, shape my point of view uh, a little bit is for those of you who are Netflix people, highly recommend watching something called the 13th kind of, you know, goes through a uh, history of, you know, racism, you know, in the US and kind of how that is done. And then if you're into reading books and all this kind of, you know, fun things, there's a book called White uh, Fragility that I read recently that was done by um, a woman named, I think, Robin D'Angelo, who discusses a lot of her lessons kind of learned through, uh, she was, a, I think, a diversity inclusion facilitator, some of her, her background. And it just, you know, uh, it just challenges, you know, kind of the way, you know, I, 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 I viewed the world and helps me kind of, you know, A, just become, I think, a better person because I hear and learn from different perspectives and allows me to help kind of help change the world for the better. So I'll kind of leave, you know, you with those two kind of uh, recommendations and things because they're a little bit timely based on what is, you know, going, going on in the world today. So, so thank you. Thank you again for, for having me. This has kind of been a, a great thing for me to do on a, on a Friday morning, having some coffee. Yes. Thank you very much. Also, Chris, for joining us today. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. This has been fantastic, really. Thank you, Chris. Well, thanks. And also, thank you, dear listener, for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us at podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your chaos community.
This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode, with 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and next-generation network. Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com chaos.